Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Welcome to the Hostel Homies podcast. My guest today is Amos. Amos is from Portland, Oregon, and he now lives in New York City. We're going to talk about the time when he taught English in Shanghai. Yeah. I'm, I'm always impressed. Like, Mandarin is so hard yeah. to learn. Like, anybody that puts in that time and effort to, like, study as much as you need to to become fluent in Chinese is, like, in my mind, one of the most impressive, like, things. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And you said you studied it a little bit, right? I mean, I'm half Taiwanese, so I grew mm-hmm. up speaking, like, at a very elementary level. And okay. I kind of just maintain that elementary level. Sure, sure. Um, do you still have a family who, who lives out in Taiwan? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm just not that close with them, but okay. I did, like, I have visited them a lot over time. Okay. Um, it was usually my grandma, and I also have, like, an uncle out there, and I have another uncle that lives in Vietnam, so I have a family kind of in, like, different areas of All Asia. All out there. Um, is, is Mandarin the main language spoken in Taiwan? Yeah, in, like, China, Taiwan, everybody speaks Mandarin for the most part, but there's also, usually people, like, from that area, they also know their own dialect from that area. Okay. So, like, there's Shanghainese for people in Shanghai, and Beijing, they have their own thing, too. So, oh, there's, like, all sorts that. of different dialects, um, and they all sound really different. It's kind of a, it's kind of, like, a unique thing to each city. Okay. Or each so, area. The, the place you spent the most time in was, was Shanghai, correct? Yeah. Okay. I started my journey, like, uh, what was it, 2015, 14, around there, mm-hmm. and I, um, I was just kind of, like... I felt really lost when I was in the U.S. I was working for a startup at the time, mm-hmm. um, and we were losing like a lot of money, and I didn't think like I had a place in that company anymore, so I was, I was just like really stressed about it, and I wanted a change, and um, my dad actually lived in Shanghai at the time, so like uh, I talked to him about it, and he was like, just come to Shanghai, teach English, like, and I was just like, fuck it, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then like right. a month later, I moved there. Um, oh, that quickly, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a really impulsive person. Yeah, sure. And, uh, but... I kind of realized when I got there, like a lot of foreigners there, I, it's like people who are lost. That's how I like to describe them. People that like are just looking for something different. Like uh, they're tired of wherever they were back home, like tired of being in their like bubble. And mm-hmm. They just want to like experience something new. Do you think that's why travelers connect so well is because they're all either looking for the same thing or are having the same problem? I think so mm-hmm. very much. Like I think that's very much a thing. Um, were you teaching English with a bunch of other people who were foreigners and travelers in um, Shanghai? Yeah, so I taught at, I taught at Scholastic. Scholastic has a bunch of schools there. Mm-hmm. I first I first say like the teaching um, the teaching industry in China is not probably what anybody would expect until they go. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's like there's these schools called like training schools or like they're like training programs. They're like after school programs, and basically like every Chinese kid, their family will send them to one of these schools. So, like, they'll go to school all day, and then, like, after school, they'll go to English school. Wow. So, it's, like, kids are in class basically all day until they go home and sleep. These companies, there's tons of them in China. Um, one of them, like, some of them are big companies like Disney, Scholastic, like, names you recognize, but then there's also, like, the local ones, and, like, ones from other places around the world. So, yeah, I've worked for some of those programs. Pretty much all of them, it was, like, 
I would maybe be the only American working there. It'd be like a bunch of Russians or uh-huh. like just other places in Europe because it's really it's it pays really well. Like if you're from Russia, like a small town in Russia, like moving to China and being able to teach English is like a really good opportunity. Are you able to make enough money teaching English to kind of save money, or is that mostly just enough to get by and live there? I feel like there's different phases of teaching. Okay. There's like the phase where you first move there and you're making like a good amount of money and you just want to like spend it and have fun. Yeah, sure. And that's the phase I was in for like the entire time I was there. <laughs> you never got out of phase one. Like, yeah. I'd just like take a month off and go travel. Uh-huh. <laughs> and be like, oops. Yeah, sure, <laughs> well, sure. That's, there's, there's the paycheck. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like there's teachers that have been there for like 10 years, you know, they're over the traveling. They're mm-hmm. just like, they're starting to settle down. Maybe, you know, they got a Chinese wife now okay. and they need to take yeah. care of their family. And um, there's also people that, you know, they've been teaching a long time. They don't have like a family, but they're just... I'm trying to focus more on what they want to do after teaching because okay. they've been doing it for years and years. And yeah, like one of them I met, I worked um, with a guy that I think he was like 32 and he was like very much ready to leave China. He's been teaching at the same school for seven years. Mm-hmm. So he's over it. Um, so, and he was, t- and, but he at this time was working probably like 80s hour, 80 hours a week, just teaching. He'd work at like a regular school, like regular school hours. Then he'd go to like a training school and then he'd do some extra tutoring on the side. Wow. And he saved, he told me he saved 40,000 USD in six months. Jeez. And he was going to take 10,000 of it, go to Macau, which is like Chinese Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and put it all on red. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. So uh, that's, <laughs> and that's the second phase. That's the second okay. phase yeah, of teaching. Sure. That's like once you're five years deep in the game, that's, what, that's where your mind goes. You're focusing on Chinese Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're betting it all. You're saving up and you're betting it all. I love how responsible that guy was working so <laughs> yeah. much to save yeah, this on was... probably the dumbest decision. <laughs> yeah. It was only 10000 of it, though. You know, he had, his, okay. he had his rest of his money saved up. Um, a lot of teachers would think, would think about like uh, buying property. Mm-hmm. But it was weird because they would always talk about... These are American teachers and a lot of them would talk about like buying property. But never in America would be like... One guy was like so dedicated to, that, to the idea of buying property and like... Um, like either a random place in like Southeast Asia or like Australia. Okay. Which I thought was yeah. odd. It's like a lot of people that go there, but then they don't want to go back to the U.S. So it's like people that like want the expat lifestyle. I see. But then they don't want to teach anymore. So they like try to find a way to stay in that life, but without teaching. Phase three. Yeah. <laughs> phase three. <laughs> no, yeah. Phase three is because there is the people, there are the people, the select few, you mm-hmm. know, the the chosen ones that actually make it past, you know, the teaching mm-hmm. and like become super successful in like business. That's that Out happens. There. Yeah, that happens. I mean, in Shanghai, like a lot of like, there's so much new infrastructure there. And I think there were like a lot of foreigners that moved there maybe like 20 years ago when it just started, like the economy just started booming for them. Mm-hmm. And they like got super lucky. They invested in property, started like building like westernized restaurants there. And they're the richest people and they're like run the nightlife, you know? Oh my gosh. And, it makes it fun for as like a foreigner. You go out to all these like foreign restaurants. And there's like, like there's a like an Italian restaurant where all the Italians go. Like uh-huh. things like that. It's really cool. Before but, that, was it? Uh, before that happened, was it mostly just Chinese-owned restaurants? I want to be able to say. I will say though, like nightlife has always been a Shanghai thing. Like, mm-hmm. like when you go there, there's not much traditional culture. Like their culture is just like getting fucked up. I feel like really? that's like that's definitely a thing. Like a Shanghai thing. Is that just strictly for young people, like people under 35 no. or is this, is this? Cause like you'll go to like these nightclubs, like these really fancy nightclubs and like the old Chinese businessmen will be like sitting in like, the, 
like doing bottle service, you know, trying to sh- like flex how much money they have. I see. But like all like the foreigners and students, you know, are like getting fucked up on free alcohol because like all all these clubs that give out free alcohol to foreigners. Mm-hmm. A Chinese person told me that they do this so like they have entertainment for these right like the Chinese businessmen just like seeing the foreigners get really drunk and like acting goofy while they sit on there like <laughs> yeah so they so they feed like so they feed these like college kids and like these young teachers like alcohol at these clubs for free <laughs> just, and then like, the, the rich businessmen yeah, just watch just, it yeah then like they order all these bottles but they don't even drink it they just do it strictly to like prove they have more money than the people next to them wow it's like such an odd culture like um their nightlife is like very much about superficial things instead of having fun like and, oh man what a strange egotistical system. yeah i mean i guess that happens in the u.s too though it's just a little yeah. different i've heard that before my my cousin lived out um he didn't live in shanghai but he lived in taipei and he was saying that there were clubs like that where yeah it was there were the expensive clubs a lot of the times yeah. but for foreigners there were there was just kind of like tables where there was free booze and like some soda set up yeah. like, like almost like it was like a house party <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, a, yeah, it's like that so like they'll have so a lot of these clubs will have like two like just small tables like maybe like three feet by three feet tables mm-hmm. and they'll just put like two bottles of fake gray goose on it because <laughs> in, in china nothing's real <laughs> and they'll just be like yeah drink this and then oh you'll feel like gosh. shit the next day and be like that probably wasn't gray goose <laughs> yeah <laughs> realistically yeah. <laughs> were you going out a lot with these people you were teaching with my best friend i met out there i met from a chinese class he okay. was a he's a south african dude and he's still mm-hmm. my really good friend i talked to him pretty regularly mm-hmm. um, but he was out there because he wanted to go pro in Chinese basketball, in the Chinese basketball league. Oh, cool. So that's what he was out there doing. Yeah. And you meet a lot of people like that, um, that are pursuing their dream that maybe they couldn't have pursued back home. Mm-hmm. But like China is like a completely new market to a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. He actually ended up doing some like, I don't know how he is right now, but he's, he ended up playing in like some semi-pro games and getting paid to oh, be on some, Yeah, so like, and it was, <laughs> and it had nothing really to do with skill. Like apparently there's this whole league just called like show league. Mm-hmm. And like, as long as you look the part, <laughs> like, <laughs> Like they'll give you like a thousand dollars to play like a couple games and fly you around China. <laughs> so if you're just kind of like tall and muscular, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. No, and they skill. do that for like they do that for like I think other sports too. It seems like more uh, more celebrity, yeah, than, exactly. than skill out there. It seems like they just like the idea of people who are enjoyed in America or enjoyed yeah. in other places, right? Yeah. And speaking of like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, celebrity. Like, <laughs> I one time went to. Um, a club not like a nice club it was like a club that i probably didn't want to go to it was like kind of a dingy nightclub and but like i turned around at one time and tracy mcgrady is there and he did <laughs> yeah tracy mcgrady's there he's like snapchatting everything he doesn't have a table he looks like he's alone <laughs> it was the oddest thing but he he's like acting like he's having the best time ever and like me and my friend i was i was with my friend and like obviously he loves basketball he's like trying to go pro he's like holy shit that's tracy mcgrady yeah. <laughs> and i'm just like what is he doing <laughs> like what is this guy doing that is not the first thing <laughs> exactly in a random shanghai yeah. club it was just weird because, like, he wasn't, like, balling out, you know, like you would expect him to. He was just, he looked like a tourist. Yeah, sure. Like, he looked like one of us. Did, uh, did, did people recognize him out there? Uh, the, the, yeah. The people who were from yeah, China recognized him? Yeah. A lot of people recognized him. And then, on, like, on WeChat, like, the popular Chinese social media, there were a bunch of, like, pictures of him, like, that people took. Oh, good. Okay. And then, like, on that same note, one time I went to a club, and uh, it was, like, a new club. It was, like for the cool people like the it was like kind of bougie uh-huh. and like James Harden was just sitting in the corner <laughs> and, but I guess that makes more sense he has like a lot of like uh, Chinese fans is that right so, like he spends a lot of time in uh, China oh that's cool but 
And I have one more celebrity that I, I met. This one's a little bit more obscure. <laughs> but I don't know if you remember the group B2K. Oh, of course. <laughs> Do you know Rasby, a member of B2K? <laughs> yes. Well, Rasby update, he's living in Shanghai. <laughs> Is he doing concerts out there? Um, <laughs> he's not doing too hot. I'm gonna be no. honest. He's he's uh, into some weird shit, like maybe in the like a uh, underground scene. Did you, know you meet I mean? him at an even dingier club than you yeah. met Tracy McGrady? I met him at a place that opens at two a.m. Okay, <laughs> and closes at ten a.m. <laughs> I was with a teacher, and he was like the teacher. This teacher also like promotes like events, so mm-hmm. that's why I was at this place. He was like promoting an event there. And he, he's, like, really deep in, like, the, the media industry and, he like, has tons of connections. He's been in China for, like, 10 years. So I was with him and, like, he was really good friends, I guess, with Raz B. <laughs> it's, they're, like, it's, like, their crew, you know? Yeah. This teacher, you know, Raz B. <laughs> Naturally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, some other dudes. <laughs> Trace Maybe McGrady, like, James yeah. Harden. Yeah. yeah. You know, just, just the crew. You the, know? Go- the Goonie squad. Yeah. Did you say you were living with that teacher, or where were you living during the uh, oh, during just, the time that you were teaching? I lived in a couple places. In, mm-hmm. in Shanghai, it's super easy to move around. Like every yeah. apartment's furnished, so like you pack up a suitcase, you move to the next building if you don't like the one you live in. And it's just ready to go for you. Yeah, maybe you'll lose like a small deposit. I did. But, okay. Or you, you can like find somebody to replace you, but it's really easy to move around there. Um, for the like, uh, for the scholastic schools, where did they have places for? teachers to stay specifically they had teachers um yeah they they a lot of these schools they'll help you find the place okay like the, the good ones like but there's also schools that will just like fuck you over and like just use you for as much as you're worth like work you super long hours i see luckily like i have a good enough english accent and i have like an american passport that, like it's if you have those things then it's easy to get hired by a good school like super easy like as long as you like can prove you're american and uh-huh. have an american accent um, More so than someone from Europe. Yeah, especially like in the like even in China, I think it, they made it a law where you have to have like a passport from an English-speaking country to be able to teach English, like officially on the books wow. or whatever. Okay. So it's like just worth more to have an American passport. I don't know. The whole teaching thing is just it's 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 a money business. It's money business before <laughs> anything else. It's not about education. Which is kind of sad. Um, would you compare it to the basketball leagues out there and the sporting leagues? Like, they just want it's someone sure. who looks yeah, yeah. the part? Yeah, yeah, it's for sure. It's absolutely for sure. What? Yeah. I guess, and that's kind of, like, uh, maybe why teachers enjoy it, because there's, like, no stress, really, for the most part, unless, mm-hmm. like, you get one of these really shitty teaching jobs where they, like, overwork you. Right. But, like, for me, there was, like, zero stress. Like, I could call off any day that I wanted to. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, like, one time, I just, like was really drunk with some friends <laughs> and, uh, and like we were like yo i wish i was at the beach <laughs> and then we all bought tickets to like sanya which is like the beach uh-huh. island of china which is the beach really drunk <laughs> was there for a week and i had to like call some of my students parents be like i can't make it <laughs> sorry I'm out of the but beach. this is like yeah that i don't recommend doing that it did you know ruin my reputation a little bit it made okay. it harder for me because at this time i was doing private tutoring so it made me made it harder for me to get some like more students after that would you make more money doing the private tutoring? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Okay. There are like international schools in Shanghai that pay really well, mm-hmm. and those are like the hardest teaching jobs to get. Is like international schools ran by like foreign companies usually, and they're like oh, sure. they're considered. It's like a really high end private school. It's like you know that sort of thing. Did knowing Mandarin help you out as far as getting a teaching job? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Um, but a lot of times, parents want somebody that never will speak Chinese to their kid. Oh, wow. They want somebody that will only speak English and be really, like, super strict about just doing English, you know, because they don't want, like, the kid to feel like 
relaxed. <laughs> I don't I know, like, yeah. Like, or like, like have, um, they want their kid to be like super focused on just English, I guess. Like I mean, that, I guess like, that is as like far really as strict. Yeah. As far as yeah. learning the language, I, the yeah. immersing that makes more sense. But. but yeah, by the time I left, I was in a really good situation where like I got along with all the families I taught really well. They like cooked me dinner and, um, it was really relaxed. Like a lot of times I just like chill, watch some movies, like talk about what the movies were. Okay. About, so I wasn't, by the end of my, like my, my uh, time there, I was in a really good spot. Like, um, yeah. In I comparison, because when you said you left, you were feeling kind of lost. Was this a kind of, was this exactly what you needed? Uh, yeah, I guess in some ways I feel like, uh, well, I got a lot of, like traveling out of the way. Like I definitely felt like I did something fulfilling. Like, cause at the end of the day, like you are teaching these kids. And it is fulfilling. It is a fulfilling job to do, like to see their improvement over time, mm-hmm. and and it does like and it like it pays well. And it's like all these things that people look for, you know, when they measure success. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like you get free time to travel. You're making a good wage, and you're and, like I was really happy. Yeah, I was really happy. Like, I definitely say I would I would do it again, hundred percent. How long will you be teaching for? Would it be like semesters? Would it be a certain amount of months at a time, or was it? just kind of you could teach until you wanted to leave? Well, with the private tutoring, I could pretty much build my own schedule how I liked it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the schools, like the after school programs, it would be like from four, four to, you'd be there like four to nine, um, Wednesday to Friday. And then on Saturday, Sunday, it'd be like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So like a lot of these jobs are like Wednesday through Sunday. And then like Monday and Tuesday are like the weekend for a lot of teachers is that right yeah which kind of made it fun because a lot of bars would then have like teacher night okay nice like on mondays and tuesdays this would just be the weekends for the teachers or would this be the weekend because like the only job you know that would have like so many people that have monday and tuesday off i see like if you go to a bar on or like do something on monday and tuesday that like is considered like a night thing Mm -hmm. it would usually just be teachers there which kind of made it interesting and it made it actually really easy to make friends i think that's right one of the things I liked most is how easy it was to just meet people and like how open people were to like um, befriend you. There's something about just being in a in another country that kind of just puts you in a different mindset. Yeah. To like just try something new. Completely. Put yourself out there a little more. Did you ever feel like you went up and sparked up a conversation strictly out of not wanting to feel lonely or lost in a, in a new place? Um, I did do that, but... I had, my examples for that are mostly from like when I was traveling in Vietnam, going from hostel to hostel. I was just there. I was there for a month, pretty mm-hmm. much alone the entire time. So like eventually, I did feel lonely. I did start being that guy in the hostel. I was like, yeah. "Yo, like, how was your day? Like, sure. what'd you do?" And then, but like after the first week of that, like I realized like, some people were like tra- had already been traveling for like months, and they're just like, "I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about my <laughs> yeah. trip anymore." Yeah, yeah they'd be no, like trying to like Skype their friend back home. Right. Like, super over traveling and you have you been in that mode as well like the the mode that yeah I, I i call it like the three week wall yeah like after sure. three weeks of just like straight traveling like you start being like fuck like i need to do something productive like yeah. i'm over this yes <laughs> like completely the, like i love the beach but <laughs> <laughs> like i wouldn't mind just going to my bed right now yeah completely well i think you just feel drained like yeah. meeting all those people and also like traveling is tiring there's so many like affordable especially in southeast asia there's so many activities that are just affordable that you can do from like morning to night mm-hmm. and eventually that just wears on you like i was really lucky i was in this hostel that was brand new and like the small town of vietnam is really nice mm-hmm. i ended up just like chilling there for a couple of days like yeah. not doing anything i think those are uh, those are saviors sometimes when you, when you find a place yeah. that maybe not as many people are in it as well. And you Except think, this one was a little strange. Outside. <laughs> so like I got there and it was just me and then there was these two girls. 
and like there's the hostel owner who's mm-hmm. this young guy really cool vietnamese dude yeah. <laughs> but like he definitely was like he had this thing where uh he would hit on every girl at the hostel at uh, this time it was just these two girls yeah sure. uh, like and i woke up and like he was hooking up with the girl <laughs> Oh. next to me in the hospital. I was just like, what? <laughs> like, I just didn't expect it, you know? It's not something you expect. It was... <laughs> and then, like, I read the reviews on the hostel, and I was just like, yeah, like, the hostel's super nice, but this the, the owner was always making, like, creepy advances toward oh, me. Oh, <laughs> what a creep. <laughs> yeah. It was just... So, like, the hostel's really nice. Wait, <laughs> but, but, but the, the owner was creepy. But I, got, I did, like, after, after those girls left, I did get some good relaxation time <laughs> when, when, when people weren't hooking up right next to me. Wait, the guy who managed and owned the hostel yeah. came into the room that everyone was staying in? Yeah, I was in. literally sleeping in the bed next to them, and I like, woke up to, like, hearing them. Oh, jeez. Yeah, kind of goes. But besides that, I think most of my hostel experience were, like, they were, like, really positive in the sense that I didn't have any issues. Mm-hmm. People were always super nice. Um, even if they were annoyed with me when I asked them, like, how, are the, how was their day? Like, yeah. they always responded to me like it was good or like, you should do this, you should do that. Sure. Have you done like this tour yet? Um, and like, usually the hostel workers are also super nice. Like, they didn't have like any owners trying to creepily hook up yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were, you were out in Shanghai for, you said around two years? Yeah. How long did it take? Well, I guess I'll say, did it ever feel like home? I think it did. Yeah. I think by like... My last few months, it finally did. So, like, after, like, maybe a month, and a year and a half, it, it did feel like home. Cool. And, uh, I mean, Shanghai just will always mean a lot to me after living there. Like, I love the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds weird, but I feel like it's even, like, it's, for me, it felt more international than even New York. You know, people say, like, how diverse mm-hmm. New York is and, like, you know, it's the melting pot or whatever. But I felt that more from Shanghai, which is kind of crazy to say because, you know, China, you know, Chinese government is like super censored and all these mm-hmm. things, and the government's really strict. But yet they have this like international metropolis, which with like the tallest buildings in the world, like, and like a really diverse um, demographic living there. And that's part of the reason I love being in Shanghai because it gave me a chance to, like, I love being there so long because it gave me a chance to like go everywhere. Like mm-hmm. I probably went, I went as many, I got off at as many train stops as I could in Shanghai. They're just like obscure places. Was that was that kind of your main strategy as fi- of finding those places? Um, I just, uh, I don't know, sometimes I would just be bored. Like one day, like I've had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to take my train, I'm going to take the train to here. Because the train system is very fast there and it's mm-hmm. like really convenient. So it's not hard to get anywhere. But just, and just see what's out there. And usually there'd be like something really cool. Like, yeah. Um, and there's always like some sort of like giant mall, like that has like <laughs> fancy lights. So at sure. least, at the very least, I know that would be there. And some stops, there's like old traditional like water towns where like people like get around by boat. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, on like the outskirts of the city. Um, there's just like a lot of like random things like that you kind of have to find and you can only really find it if you were there for enough time. Did people pay a lot of attention to you when you'd go into these less touristy parts? Could they tell that you were a tourist? Were you treated Um, differently? I mean, I think, uh, it depends. For the most part, I I blended in. Yeah. And like, and I don't look as touristy as I feel like a lot of other people and I speak a little bit of Chinese, Mm -hmm. which helps. Um, but Chinese, Chinese, for the most part, even if they did think something of it, they they keep to themselves. Um, you know, Chinese like their culture is like very like on the surface level, they're very polite. You mm-hmm. know, if they're gonna talk shit, they'll do it. You know, behind your back. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, yeah, I never really felt like I was out like an outcast. I mm-hmm. guess. What uh, what is one place in particular you found 
when you were taking random train stops to find something non-touristy. Yeah, so in Shanghai, like the big skyline area where like you see the waterfront and like all the tall buildings, it's, they call it the Bund. Mm. So like there's the very popular touristy area of the Bund. But then, you know, I went a little bit further. I journeyed okay. and I went to like, there's, it's like a, kind of like a curved river. And so like I went like, I just walked along it for a while to like the other side, I guess they call it, it would be like, I guess the north side of the Bund mm -hmm. where like no one really lives. It's still like, um, it's not really like gentrified yet. I, I guess like it's a lot and they're, but they're, they were getting there. And like the one place they did build was this like brand new park with like benches along the water. And it was like an even better view than like the touristy one, like the popular one that everybody goes to. Sure. And like, yeah, that was definitely the best place. Uh, I would just, like sometimes after I found it, like sometimes I just go there, chill on the bench, like look at this like crazy city view. Uh -huh. Um, did, yeah, you, that was did you show it off to anyone? Did you did you bring yeah, anybody's good, email? Good date spot. Is it? Yeah, sure. I would <laughs> imagine so. Yeah. Sounds romantic. Yeah, you well. use that one a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, by the way, I also own a hostel. In the, you know? <laughs> yeah, so like, check out, let's check out the North Bond, come to my hostel. Let's, let's just do this the right way, <laughs> the traditional way. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, that was that's definitely my favorite spot I found, and I'm kind of I was always shocked at how empty it was. Like it's like the most amazing view, probably one of the most amazing views mm -hmm. in the world because it's you know the tallest buildings in the world with all these crazy lights. But actually, right near that area too, there was like a bunch of like new galleries opening up. There's like because there's like kind of a blossoming art scene there in Shanghai mm -hmm. with all the foreigners and like Western influence. Like like the local Chinese are getting like being like more open about their art, and like then it's also like influenced by you know, Europeans and, you know, Americans, like just random foreigners. So they had this new like art area, like uh, by that, also by also that view. And they just called it Art Street, which I thought was funny. But it was just like really nice, like new buildings, all these new galleries, and yeah. they just called it Art Street. I love how straightforward that is. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel like you had reverse culture shock when you eventually came back to America? Yeah, I did. I remember, because in China, like my Chinese is not good enough. But let's say I'm at a restaurant. Like usually I have to point at what I order. I see. Or like if I'm at a store and I don't know how to say the certain thing and like I have to point to it or something. Mm -hmm. And like when I came back, like when I went to order food <laughs> for like the, for a while, I would just point and then like <laughs> I forgot that I had to like say things too. And it just made for like a lot of awkward interactions when I first came back. Like I'd go to like a, a deli in Brooklyn and mm -hmm. like just point. <laughs> Like, what do you want? Yeah, that one. <laughs> just point. Yeah, that one. That thing right there. Yeah, so like I definitely had to adjust a little bit, and I was like, a lot of times I'd actually like try to have a just like a normal conversation. I'd like, um, I'd like lose a track of what I had to say like very easily when I first came back. I like forgot that I said that in English, because also like my like my spoken English there, I feel like got like more simple because mm -hmm. I was usually teaching like like younger students or talking to people not from America mm -hmm. or like an English speaking country. So I had to like simplify my English a little bit a lot of times when I was there. So I think I got kind of used to speaking like that. Yeah, you just you just kind of forgot about a lot of the other vocabulary. Yeah, yeah like there's just a lot of words you just can't say. It's just like no point in saying it. I see, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Did you have any strategies on kind of curing that reverse culture shock? Or did it just eventually wear It just off? went away eventually. Or maybe yeah. I still have it. I don't know. Maybe, like, <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying right now? Like, is this, are we, it's a pretty okay. simple interview. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. Like, You've just been pointing the entire time, man. You haven't even said a word. Yeah, this is, yeah, maybe maybe after this I gotta rethink everything. Well, to, to close out the podcast, do you have any advice for people who 
who want to teach English, whether um, it be in China or just uh, in general out in other countries. Yeah, I mean, for all those lost people out there, <laughs> just give it a shot, you know? Yeah. It's worth it. Like, I went there with low expectations. I just wanted to do something new, you know, and I, I left there with like some really good, who I consider like lifelong friends. Um, a place that I can say like I called home for a little bit, like a city that's very special to me. Just like a ton of experience. I mean, if you're living in China, you can travel so many places for so cheap, it's quick. Like four hours to Japan, four hours to Korea, four hours to Taiwan, like all these places you can just go to very easily. Um, but I would say, I would say, you know, give it a shot if you're thinking about it. Okay, wonderful. Amos, thanks for being on the podcast. Happy to be here.